Hello, and welcome to Surveillance Exploring the Utiliverse podcast. I'm Young Nago, your host and CTO at Surveillance. The Utiliverse is our unique term for the ongoing evolution of the electrical utility industry. Our podcast will explore the industry transformative landscape from grid modernization, distribution automation, and renewable energy to critical conversations on climate change and decarbonization. These discussions will include subject matter experts who offer diverse perspectives on what drives our industry forward. Now, let's explore the Utiliverse together. Today, we are honored to have Mark Gabriel, the President and CEO of United Power, joining us. United Power is an electric cooperative established in 1938, serving 17 communities in the Denver, Colorado area. With around 110,000 customer meters, It stands as the largest cooperative in Colorado by load and one of the fastest growing in the United States. The utility reached a system peak of 634 megawatt in the summer of 2023. Mark brings a wealth of experience with over 25 years in the electric utility business. His journey has been marked by significant roles, including the administrator and CEO of the Western Area Power Administration. And as a management consultant and acting president, at the Electric Power Research Institute. Additionally, he chairs the Gridwise Alliance and is the author of Visions for a Sustainable Energy Future. We are excited to engage with Mark, exploring his profound insights, industry experience, and the United Power's journey toward becoming a DSO. So let's dive in and please extend a warm welcome to Mark Gabriel into the Utiliverse. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the Surveillance exploring the Utiliver podcast, episode number one, very special guest. We are very excited to have you as our guest to kick off this exciting journey. How are you today? I'm doing great, thank you. Okay, that's great, great to hear. The topic we're covering today is the distribution utility transition journey to become the distribution system operator, or also known as DSO. And we will use that acronym today I think quite a bit as we have the conversation. And we believe you and United Power Utility are in a great position to provide relevant insights on this topic. So before we dive right in, uh, let's help establish the definition of the DSO of our audience. So from my research of the term and probably from your perspective, I see a number of varying definition in our industry. Uh, I'm not sure everybody is aligned on those exact words. Uh, but interestingly enough, currently, the uh, Ontario sector in, in, in Ontario, Canada is debating this definition. And just as recently as this morning meeting that I was in, uh, we were discussing this. So what I like to do is, is use this framework to, to start our conversation. I'm sure we will likely expand its definition as we go along. So here it is. So, so let, let me kind of read this definition specifically to help guide uh, the conversation. So DS, DSO definition, the entity responsible for electric distribution system planning and operational functions, including provisions of distribution network services, DRs, and end user customer connection to the distribution system and procurement of services to support distribution system operation. That sounds like a lot of work for this DSO, uh, I believe. Uh, wouldn't you agree, Mark? <laughs> I do. I do. I think that that sounds like a uh, 
a definition crafted by a committee uh, that wanted to make sure everything was included. No, for, 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 for but, but that's not the end of it, right? So, so here, right. here's a few more words. Uh, this entity may be either the incumbent distribution utility or a separate independent entity. The term DSO can refer to a range of business models, organizational structure, and functional capabilities which go beyond those of an existing distribution utility. You're right, it, it is full of definition. It looks to cover a wide variety of interests, stakeholder. And I think today it will be wonderful that, that as we have the conversation is that you, you help us boil this down to what does really mean you know, for United Power in the, in the customer community that you serve uh, and certainly your background experience. So let, let's jump right in there. And um, I had a chance, by the way, uh, to read your latest CO message uh, for your members, uh, it, the December message. And I thought it was very interesting. You, you reflected on the evolution of newspaper media to digital media. And you know, in, in your intro uh, to introduce to, to your members, what is happening with this DSO journey? And I still remember, uh, you know, during my teenage year doing paper delivery, right? You know, that's one of the first jobs going out, right? That, that you, you drop off newspaper on, on the driveway or, or the front porch of people. And uh, wow, how far have we come? So please uh, take in the direction that you would like to kind of reflect on this and the, the roadmap and the planning that you're doing for United Power. We'd like to hear that. Sure, sure thing. I mean, yeah, I, I do appreciate the definition that you started with, uh, albeit one with lots and lots of words. I simply look at becoming a DSO versus just a distribution operator as really having the accountability and responsibility for managing the assets, communications, and tools on behalf of our members. Of course, I use members because we're a rural electric cooperative. We don't have customers per se. Our member owners are just that. They have a big investment in our system. But when I think about whether it's newspapers, communications, transportation, we've moved from a world which is has centralized resources to one which is much more localized resources. And in the case of United Power, we are blessed with a growing service territory, one that has a, a very engaged and interested member base, but also that has the need to find increasing levels of power, offering better power quality, resilience, and reliability in a market, in the case of the Western United States, where capacity is short and transmission is, needs to be built. So we asked ourselves a really a fundamental question. What can we do to best serve our 110,000 meters, which is let's say 300 to 350,000 people? And we've really come up with the idea that we should manage at home first before then reaching beyond out into the, the broader transmission and generation universe. So when we developed our cooperative roadmap two years ago, we started looking to say, what do we need to do to meet the needs of our members? What are the technologies we need to deploy? And what's the best way to deploy it at the lowest possible cost? And hence this kind, this concept that we've really come up with around hyper-localization. Um, think about it in, in another term, right? We, we used to have uh, landline telephones connected by large wires, and today everything is wireless and local. And we view the 
future of the DSO just in that same path. For example, May 1st of this uh, 2024, we're going to be going on our own in terms of power supply. We're going to have to match and meet the needs of our members through roughly a dozen power suppliers. At the same time, of our 95,000 residential meters, we have nearly 12,000 solar rooftops, 6,000 EVs, 250 batteries, and those are all at the edge of the grid. So I'd say to folks, think about the current world of an independent system operator or an RTO on the transmission scale. We at United Power are looking at really being a DSO on the distribution side of the system. And so that's gonna require investments in technology, communications, computing, but sort of serving locally first before reaching out into the broader universe. Uh, thank you. Uh, that's a great summary. Uh, appreciate that roadmap uh, and understanding. And maybe some more details around the energy growth you're expecting. I think I believe uh, during the research uh, of your planning, uh, maybe 10% per year, uh, right? And or maybe you think in the next 10 years, uh, you may double or triple based on the understanding of, of how this, the region may grow. And, and that must have I assume it's the impact of, of your current planning and the investment that you're making. Yeah, it certainly does. Look, and I, I'd like to say it's because of brilliant leadership at United Power that we're seeing all this growth. But I, I will admit it's somewhat an accident of geography. We are east and north of the Denver metro area in a very desirable area. And we are also fortunate in that our mix of members we're about a third oil and gas, about a third commercial industrial, and about a third residential. In the residential world alone, in the past five years, we've added roughly 20,000 uh, meters. Uh, so if you think about just the growth on the residential side, uh, this year, we're gonna be up roughly 9%. Uh, we Last year, when I first uh, took over, we were, I think, 570 megawatt peak. This past summer, we we're roughly at 650 megawatts. Uh, so we've got exponential growth. Uh, oil and gas in particular is roughly 18%, grew 18% this year. And a lot is happening. So we have the oil and gas boom, uh, which is important because most of it right now is not electrified. Uh, so we're looking at electrifying roughly 600 more megawatts there. Uh, on, on top of that, again, we, we, we've added 3,500 meters this year alone on the residential side. Uh, the railroad, BNSF, is moving its headquarters uh, station from downtown Denver to 1,500 acres, all electrified in our service territory. We have a major battery manufacturer and roughly 13 million square feet of new commercial industrial that's happened in the last three years. So we've got this boom going on. And at the same time, you have an overlay of, of electrification, right? And that's, that's a North American, actually a global phenomenon. So I look at it and by the end of the decade, if I'm wrong, we'll only be twice our size. And if our numbers are right, we could be three times. So we're going from 600 megawatts to roughly 1200, maybe 1800 megawatts. And that's as the entire footprint starts to electrify. Now, again, I'd love to say it was, it was our brilliant leadership that got us there. 
it presents some real opportunities for us and some challenges. Power supply is critical. Now, there aren't a whole lot of power plants being built. In fact, coal plants in the West are being shut down. It's hard to build a new natural gas plant. And as much as I personally would love to see a number of nuclear plants built, I don't believe that's going to happen, certainly in my business tenure. So that leads us back to this whole idea of a DSO. What can we do to make sure we supply sufficient power? Now we've contracted for more solar, we've contracted for more wind, we've got some localized natural gas. But I think the biggest news in this story right now for us is we've committed to 115 megawatts of battery storage, at which right now will be roughly, I don't know, 18 or 20 to 20% of our load. The unique thing that we're doing, instead of putting it in a one giant lump, we are hyper-localizing this at distribution substations. So we'll take eight substations, which will each have 10 megawatts of battery directly hooked to the distribution system. Now, in my background, of course, I ran one of the largest transmission grids in the world, the Western Area Power Administration. And I always say, I love big iron. I love big power plants. I love big transmission. But the harsh reality is building new transmission, even with all the uh, emphasis that we have today, is almost impossible. And it, even if it is possible, we're looking at three, four, 10 years time frame. So the, whatever I can put on my distribution system in terms of both generation and storage allows me to keep the system operating with a higher reliability and much more localized. And of course, as a cooperative, we're owned by our members. It also helps that those assets are within our footprint that benefits our communities financially. All the more reason that we need to have a DSO. We need to make sure we have enough system intelligence and communications to manage that, all those assets that are being placed out there. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on some of the technology uh, subsequently here about uh, required to, to run the DSO. And I think you raised some very key points when you talk about United Power, the growth that you're looking at. Uh, I think for the listeners here, uh, there's approximately 3,000 municipalities and cooperative, I think about 1,000 cooperative across the U.S. And, and depends on geography, uh, depends on regulatory drivers, uh, their DSO journey will be very different perhaps, right? Uh, to your point, uh, what you're focusing on, uh, supply side, there's some demand side technology. So I think for our listener, not, not that there's no blueprint per se, but certainly the approach and the conversation and the question uh, that you have highlighted there. Uh, one of the things that, that I, I love, one of the uh, quote that I heard that, that somebody cite with you, uh, I think you said, you are one of the original all of the above guys. I think I, I, I saw that <laughs> statement somewhere that prescribed to you. And I believe that's your comment about localizing and, and identifying technology today that, that could uh, address some of these needs, right? But also be prepared. I, I think I understand also that you are considering uh, whether it's natural gas or hydrogen fuel in the future, you're talking about battery. Maybe you can just share some additional perspective about the supply mix, uh, right, that you are considering to localize there. And you mentioned some statistics, but it will be good to understand that. Yep. Yeah, sure. I said we are now contracting with a dozen different firms uh, to provide power. And it is literally everything from gas to uh, the traditional solar to non-traditional storage to traditional storage 
storage. So that, that hence is the demand for the DSO. I think when we understand what's going on also at the end of the line, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, a huge percentage of our members, our end users are making their own investment in solar. In the, the numbers that we have, I said roughly 12,000 out of 95,000 residential meters, they're making a bet at the end of the system. In addition to that, we've got many commercial and industrial customers who want to add their own generation, right? This is part of their corporate goals. One of the reasons the oil and gas industry, for example, is so excited about electrifying the oil and gas fields is so that they can reduce their carbon numbers. So they can meet their own social responsibility goals. So for us, it's important to be taking into account those investments as well. I mean, the analogy is I always use is on, on telephones. About, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, I was I gave a talk out in South Dakota and I asked for a raise of people to raise their hands. How many of you have cell phones? At the time, about half the people raised their hand. I went back four years ago and said, how many of you? Oh, and I, I said, how many of you have cell phones? And how many of you have gotten rid of your landlines? Nobody. Four years ago, I had the same group. I asked the same question. Everybody had a cell phone and three quarters had eliminated their landline. We're in a position right now where consumers, again, I always, we call the members, are making decisions. And we've got industrial customers who are making decisions to supply their own power. So we've got a choice. And quite frankly, whether you're the smallest co-op in the country or a fairly large one like we are, if we're not ready to be the network provider and that's really what being a DSO is, right? Providing the backbone intelligence, communications, and system. Then someone else, back to your definition, Young, that you mentioned earlier, there could be a third party that's going to come in and say, hey, uh, you know what? Your local utility isn't doing a good job. We will take over. And lo and behold, the cooperative or the muni or an IOU for that matter, simply becomes the manager of the physical wires. And I think that's, I think that's giving up the, bet, the thing we do best, which is keeping the lights on, getting lights back on, and managing the system for our end users. I think you rightly highlighted kind of the, the dynamic in the US and the capitalistic approach of all this, right? If there's a need, somebody will come in and fill it, and the incumbent can decide to either go into some areas where perhaps they're not comfortable in, but I think all the investment and the conversation that you're talking about. Before we get to the, maybe more the technology specific to get ready for this, uh, you've also are preparing your members that this investment that you're making and all of that certainly will have an impact on, on whether the rate base of investment, some may be neutral uh, on how it's invested, but um, I recall seeing, uh, is it uh, San Diego Gas and Electric got a, a rate-based raise, like 17% or something in that respect. So I think this investment is going to have to be made in the distribution side of the network and you being having part of the transmission side uh, of the system. Um, how, how would you approach that conversation with your member? Well, and we've we just recently approached it in two fashions. Uh, we've been very fortunate to not have a major rate increase in more than six years while upgrading things, as you well know, like like an outage management system, 
while we upgrade our derms, our distribution, distributed energy resource management systems. Um, and we finally had to do a rate increase as much because of the inflation on things like transformers and wires and trucks. None of that, however, really is, is what I think is going to happen out to the future, where we're going to have to raise rates in the short term to make sure that we build a system that's robust to handle the changes in the long term. It's very interesting with our recent rate increase um, where I, we held a number of meetings. I was expecting a lot of furor about it and nothing happened. In fact, people were more uh, engaged in the conversation of reducing carbon and moving away from coal resources and using the system in a different fashion because it meets their, their goals and desires. And so we've, we've got to look at rates. Um, th there's a famous line in the movie Moneyball uh, where the coach, Billy Bean, says, you know, I hate losing more than I like winning. And I, I've converted that to I hate raising rates more than I like lowering them. Um, but if I look at the, at the window, let's say for the next 10 years, and ask the question, how can we keep rates reasonable in an era of increasing costs, particularly on generation capacity, uh, I have to figure out, and that's what we're doing, is what technologies do we invest in? So here's the interesting thing, and, and this may be more particular young to the Western United States than the Eastern, but in the Western United States, we are going to be capacity short. Energy rich, capacity short. So what does that say? Well, it says I need to manage my system to reduce the amount of capacity I need by operating my system differently. I believe over the decades as an industry, we have made major investments on the theory that we have to supply everything all the time instantaneously. That's why things like storage are so important. That's why things like EVs and in the whole suite of technologies that are going to plug into the to the system. Um, it's interesting. I'm I'm the chair of the Gridwise Alliance, and we had a, a big meeting. And I, in fact, I asked everybody in the room to close their eyes, and I said, "When I say the grid, what do you think of?" And everybody in the room closed their eyes, and I said, "I'll bet you all we're seeing big transmission towers." <laughs> and everybody raised their hand. And when I think about the grid, it is obviously from the transmission all the way down to the edge of the grid, to the washing machine. And as an interesting side note, I had a discussion several months ago with a, a major chip manufacturer. And his comment was their goal is to put a chip, an intelligent chip in every end device. And because their main business is artificial intelligence, they want to control, manage, leverage the electricity usage in every single end device. Look, I think Thomas Edison had it right. He said, people don't want to buy electricity. They want heat, light, and motive power. And after 35 years in the business, I, I still come to that conclusion. Yes, three to 5% of the people really care about where their power comes from and how it works and all of that. But the majority of the people want reasonably priced power. They want it to be clean and they want it to be reliable. And I think that's the accountability we have 
certainly on the distribution end of our industry. So, certainly, when you talk about where the transmission and the distribution substation out to the edge, uh, lots of innovation, right? I mean, that's where innovation, invention, intellectual property, startup, are really kind of looking at all those endpoints. And I, I know you are a strong technology enthusiast. You, you uh, were part of EPRI and run EPRI, right? And, and you probably look at a lot of exciting technology having come being, uh, through those doors and, and as a technology geek myself in my role uh, in product. Uh, very interested in how you see some of the technology investment that you're currently making. You're deploying ADMS, you're deploying OMS, you have mobility technology. Uh, there's a whole conversation around cyber and how that impact and working with you know, with the United Power IT team. So those are, are part of that equation. So right now, not just the hardware side, but the software side, but also the people, I believe, right, to get ready for some of these technology and, and operate them effectively in order to integrate all these new assets and maybe some views uh, that you see what are some of the opportunities or challenges or the things that that utilities generally need to be prepared for yeah i, I you know it's kind of interesting um, having been in the business long enough and run energy efficiency programs to 57 power plants in my in my last uh, career um, we some of the technologies have been around for decades it's really the integration of those technologies and thinking about them. Uh, it's an overused word, but in a holistic kind of sense. Mm -hmm. United Power, what we tried to take is a no regret strategy. So what, what does that mean? That means when we put in an outage management system, we need to make sure that it is also able to communicate to our SCADA system, right? When we make investments in supervisory control and data acquisition, we have to make sure that we think about our advanced metering infrastructure, right? Because those are separate systems on one hand, but really we need an overview and be able to manage across that broad footprint. The good news about this industry is that when you go back in time, it is always managed to use technology to its advantage. I, I, it's, a, it's a quiz question I have when I, when I do a talk about the, the history of the industry. When was the first smart meter developed? I'll give you the answer. It was 1906. Sam Insull brought the right demand, W-R-I-G-H-D, the right demand meter over from England. And it was the first time that demand was separated from just pure energy. So we've, over the decades, made the right investments. Today, things that I wrote about in my book, 13 years ago that I started at EPRI, worked in EPRI 20 some odd years ago, our eight, we're able to do that because of computing power and communications and, and devices that are, are rich with intelligence. So when I think about the investments we have to make, it really needs to grab all those pieces together. And there's a lot of history around that. Um, the, you know, we suddenly think, oh my goodness, you know, we have artificial intelligence and machine learning. We've done that over the decades. I remember a rudimentary SCADA system, gosh, almost 30 years ago when I was involved, we controlled water heaters, right? We, and we controlled them through the SCADA, what was then our primitive SCADA system. I actually believe, you know, the future is already here. It's just not widely distributed yet. And it's important for us as distribution utilities to be ready for that change into the future.
right? It's very easy to say, say, I'm going to sit back and wait and we'll see how this plays out. And so I challenge our folks, our great IT staff, our great OT staff, our dispatchers, our engineers to think differently on using systems that we have. I exactly echo your comment about IT and OT system. The lines are blurring. You know, in the past, Gata uh, operate in isolation, secure zone. Now these days, with the prevalence of, of uh, 5G, 4G, fiber sensors, data coming at us, and certainly uh, from a software standpoint and managing it, right? Upgrades, interoperability. Some of the comments that you talk about there. How does the data flow? reasonably seamlessly so that you can take advantage uh, in managing this you know, more complicated grid infrastructure uh, to allow all these different kinds of supply, but also matching it uh, with the demand side. So I, I think this is um, the uh, concerns or the opportunity, whatever you want to look at it, for all utilities. And I think one of it, you raised your point about your staff and your team. Uh, what, what I've discovered uh, in talking to, to whether executive or utility who are thinking about this, going through this journey, uh, a lot of it is it's not about, let's say, the funding or, or concerns about the strategy, but it's the people to execute and having the right ecosystem of vendors and the support to, 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 to have the courage to, to take that step and, and achieve the result. So that, that's certainly the reflection of some of the things that you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I've got a real specific example. Um, there's been this lot of concern that somehow EVs and solar panels are going to ruin the system, right? The system's going to crash. Now, I've been around long enough to remember the days when people said, oh, if we get more than 5% renewables, the world's going to end. They said, oh, never mind, uh, 10%. Oh, no, it's 15% for sure. Oh, no, it's 20 I mean, if you look at the SPP market in the middle of the summer, most days it's running 85 or 90% on wind. So we know that's not true. But at United Power, this concept about the EVs and solar panels are going to somehow burn up transformers, right? We, we hear that in the background. But what do we do? Every single week at United Power, we take a look at the transformer loading based on AMI data. And we proactively change out transformers if we see a consistent level of loading. So what's happened since 2020, we've had a direct line straight up of the number of solar panels, obviously a direct line straight up of EVs. Our transformer failure due to overload has dropped to near zero. So the, when you look at those lines, you suddenly say, well, wait a second, you've got 6,000 EVs and 12,000 rooftops and your, your system is growing and you should be having more transformed. We, we don't. We Our engineers take a look and to the, your point about the data, it's not that we have specific transformer data. We're taking the AMI data, feeding that into a model to take a look at an individual transformer. And I think that's where the future lies for us to really get system visibility and not just system visibility, but system visibility for both planning and for operations. The smarter I can get because of the data and understanding how our systems operate, the higher our reliability goes. And again, proof is in the pudding. Our SADI, our duration of outage 
right? The national number is roughly 118 minutes per year. We're at below 60, two years running. At the very same time that the number of, again, EVs have gone up, batteries are on the system, uh, solar panels, more people are plugging more things in. So it's really, how do you use the data to actually operate your system? Wonderful to hear about the reliable result. And, and I would expect that once your ADMS technology, Flissert and self-healing good get unfold, the benefits will be uh, further uh, improvement of that and certainly customer satisfaction and, and um, confidence, right? In, in that journey to the DSO and flexibility in supplies and everything else. So uh, great to hear. Um, you mentioned uh, you were the CEO of Western Area Power Whopper. Now you're part of Gridwise Alliance and you were the author. Uh, the book, by the way, maybe a plug here, Vision for a Sustainable Energy Future. Um, maybe, you know, welcome you kind of have a reflection. What would you share with our industry peers? And not just utility, but maybe you have a separate message for utility peers, maybe for vendors or regulators. You know, as we navigate this journey of the DSO complexity in what's required, you know, what are some of the things that, that you want to uh, be able to convey and, and uh, have our listener understand? That would be wonderful. I think the biggest thing is to not be afraid to take a chance and to, to think a little differently about the system. It is all too easy in life to take the calm and easy path, right? To not make waves, to not sort of push the envelope. But if we are truly accountable to our members and to the industry that we serve, we've got to constantly be better. And we have to ask questions that sometimes are uncomfortable when you get the answer. Right? And so I've seen it in technology for my virtually my whole career. And what, it, what I also find is people, uh, it's kind of funny, people talk about use cases, for example. That's one of my, um, it's kind of almost a forbidden word for me in a meeting. And when somebody comes up, well, we're going to, what's the use case? I immediately know they're thinking, why not, why not to do something, right? That's exactly what that says with a use case. So again, I'll give you a great example. Uh, if you would have done a use case about 10 years ago for a camera in a cell phone, right? You would have surveyed people. You would have asked everybody, do you want a camera in your cell phone? They look at you like you're out of your mind, right? If, if you would have told people six years ago, guess what? You could no longer take a check to the bank, but you're going to have to use your camera in your cell phone to do banking. Right? So we have to not be bound by the concepts that got us to where we are, but think about how do we get into the future, right? I think it was Henry Ford who said, if, if, if I would have asked the customer, they would have requested a faster horse. So from my perspective, it's important for those of us with the experience in the industry to do three things. One is to surround ourselves with people smarter than we are, surround ourselves with people with different skill sets, and not be afraid to try something. Because the failure is not generally fatal. The failure just gives us a path to something different in the future. I love the anecdotal and the, and the uh, how you relate some of these practical vision into something simple that we can 
um, kind of think about. And I think to your point, I can summarize it almost like the word courage in some way, right? It comes down to people, acceptance, and moving forward. So well, Mark, uh, this has been a, a great conversation. And um, I think you and I, we, we could go on for hours on this topic and uh, you know around the DSO and the future of utility. Uh, so um, as we draw this enlightening episode of Exploring the Utiliverse podcast to a close, I want to express my deepest gratitude to Mark Gabriel for joining us today and sharing his experience and United Power's vision on the DSO journey. Today's conversation with Mark has not only shed light on the complexity uh, and innovation in the field of electrical utilities, but also underscored the important role of leadership, strategy, uh, and technology in shaping the future of our energy system. To our listeners, I hope this episode, Exploring the Distribution System Operator Journey, has provided you with a richer understanding of the challenges and opportunities within the utility sector. The insights Mark shared today are invaluable for anyone interested in the evolving landscape of electrical utilities and the transformative potential of technology in this space. Thank you, Mark, and thank you all for tuning in to this episode. We value your thoughts and questions, so feel free to connect with us by email to utiliverse at surveillance.com, follow at utiliverse on X, and post on X using the hashtag utiliverse. Until next time, keep exploring the vast and dynamic utiliverse.